Welcome to First Mile's Climate Heroes. I'm your host, Bruce Bratley, founder of recycling company First Mile. On this show, we meet and learn from the climate heroes who are building solutions right now to tackle climate change. The climate impact of fashion is significant and well known, but our guest today is tackling this with a premium, environment-first outdoor clothing brand who is making exceptional products in a more responsible and transparent way. The brand is called Finisterre, and we're joined today by its founder, Tom Kay. Finisterre's B Corp, and highly respected outdoor clothing brand, and being British, all garments are designed to keep you dry and warm in the worst of our weather. Tom, it's a huge pleasure to welcome you and Finisterre to First Mile's Climate Heroes. Great. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So, Tom, it's, I mean, fast fashion, crazy um, what's going on in that world. And you're, you're not in that place at all. You're very much around a premium fashion brand and keeping things for a long time. But how are you addressing the environmental problem of fashion? Well, big, uh, big, big question to start with. So I guess um, I started from this there back in 2003. And it was really born from my love of the sea and surfing um, and living in this country. And um, the idea was behind the brand to make product that you need in, in, in the best product possible, in a more sustainable way, and also use the brand to really drive change in the industry as we saw it. So there's, there's two things to, to address that question. One is what we're making, how we're making it. It's always been about products enduring, built for purpose, built to last, functional, um, as well as you know, being aesthetically um, pleasing as well. And the other one is using the brand as a voice in the industry around ocean activism, around better product manufacturing, around better use of fabrics, and we sort of B Corp, which is a sort of framework around which we grow the business. And your, your motto is the ocean's future is our future. And are you using, as you sort of intimated there, that you're sort of trying to convey your love of the ocean through the brand as well but also are you using the brand as a way of campaigning to protect the seas yeah so i think you know it's always been bigger than just a business so hopefully as a business we get better and better we do all the time as individuals in the business as teams and as a brand but there's many things in the world a lot bigger than finisterre and one of them is um the health of the oceans and you know being a brand in cornwall the cliffs here we're in the sea a lot we have a very close relationship with the sea and i guess when i started the brand i want to kind of replicate that connection to the sea that i had always felt and if we could do that with a business and the kind of belief is that if you connect something someone with something you love it and if you love it you protect it and it kind of goes around like that so that's kind of what we do so yeah we have um our C7 Ocean Access Program, which is helping uh, our community start, many of them start their access journey about how they can stand up for the sea. And um, you know, the sea needs it more than ever if it's going to play its role in the health of the planet. Are you, based, you are based in Cornwall. The entire business is based in Cornwall now. Yeah, we are 140-odd people. Um, and as we are, I'm calling you here from... Uh, the cliff top in St Agnes, about on some old tin mine above the surf, which is quite good today. It's a nice, lovely day. I might try and get it later. Um, and there's probably about 70 people on site here. And then we've got 10 stores around the country, which are kind of a really important uh, place where the brand is brought to life and uh, people can you know, meet, meet our staff and customers and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's, it's that, that's the setup of the business. And have you always been 
connected to the sea, in and out of the sea, a surfer, um, or is that something that you came to in later life? Yeah, I guess it's my something. I was lucky. My mum and dad wanted to bring my sister and I up with a love of the sea, and it's something they wanted to kind of pass on to us, which is amazing. And I'm passing that on to my kids. So yeah, it was you know it was in and around boats, windsurfing, sailing, whatever. And then when I was sort of 16, 17, 15, 16, 17, I kind of really kind of found surfing, and it was sort of formative part of my life. So many people find you know, team sports, art, music, whatever it is, uh, but surfing was a thing that really kind of resonated with me, and you know, really kind of went for and um, lived my, you know, led that led that life of a surfer in 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 this climate, in this country. And do you see that sort of um, lifetime of being in the sea and surfing in the sea? Is it getting worse? Is it getting better? Are we flatlining? You know, what what are you seeing when you're out there? Yeah, and I think when you go in the when you go in the sea, what you know, I suppose what it gives me is that you know every time you go in, it's a bit different, and you never you know somebody's going for just for a swim or go in it, and you know somebody's going it's stormy and it's really wild, and you get you get energy off it in many different ways, or you see a bit of wildlife or whatever. So, by terms of you know the you know the, the plastic, you know everyone knows the plastic on the beach. Uh, and the worrying thing is actually the plastic you can't see in all, all amongst the tiny grains of sand. So it's definitely, um, as, you know, as the world gets busier, it's getting worse. We had some horrendous um, problems last summer with sewage. I'm sure some many listeners are aware of the, the storm overflow problem we've had, you know, situation that needs resolving by the water companies. It should have resolved like 20 or 30 years ago, which means that, you know, we get raw sewage still can end up on the beach, which is just ridiculous, you know, that just shouldn't be happening. So it's, it's, it's not great. It's not great to be totally honest with you. And just at a time when you expect the sea to really, you know, play its role in as a sort of thermostat of the planet. Does C7, your campaigning sort of arm of the business, does that have specific campaigns or goals, sewerage, plastic, that sort of thing? Or is it just generally trying to get people to love and understand the sea more? Yeah, that's a good question. We launched, we launched it when G7 was on down here and, you know, when they're G7 in St. Ives and, you know, there's the FBI everywhere, aircraft you know, carries off the, off the coast and stuff. And um, at that time, we thought, you know, well, that, you know, we should be doing some of our own things. We discussed, we, at the time we launched it, discussed the seven key issues facing the oceans today. And so that was, you know, pollution, fishing, um, climate change, you know, many, many, you know, there's, there's seven key sort of areas we focused on. And I think what we're probably doing now is every year we're going to be focusing on one of those things to really bring them to life and use the brand as a voice to sort of show all of these amazing scientists and conservationists and activists and communicators that are really shedding light for this problem. If we can use the brand to help them do that, that's, that's, a, that's a kind of our role. And what's to, uh, this year's 2023? Which of the seven are you campaigning on, campaigning on this year? Um, it's likely to be, it's still to be, I mean, we're still kind of putting the kind of final crossed and T, crossed and dots, sorry, that's it, on uh, the sort of final campaign. But it's likely to be around offshore drilling around the UK and also bottom trawling, which is a really destructive, basically ploughing up the the seabeds, you know, killing everything in, in you know, literally like the, the, the seabed that used to be seagrass, which is an amazing, A, an amazing carbon sink and also a place to sort of nurseries for many, many small um, marine animals and fish. Um, you know, just like a desert. So uh, that's something that we, you know, and also marine protected areas as well. You know, we, there are marine protected areas around the UK, but they're not really enforced. So the whole thing with the ocean is that if you leave it alone, 
the ability to, to recover is re, you know re heal is is phenomenal so that's kind of what we're going to do you have a very impressive uh, impact report talking about how you produce the product and you have these three pillars of commitment which is around uh, people product and planet could you give us an overview of of how those three work how they uh, interact and if there's any sort of priority around those Yes, uh, so I mean, uh, the, you know, I founded the brand in 2003 and it was really about, as well as making a really great product, it was also using the brand to drive change. So at uh, the very first ever website, we had you know, a three-page website, early days, e-com, literally, you know, getting a housemate to the phone to get on the internet. It was, we had, we had our commitments down, that was coming to products, to environment and people. And, you know, product is always all about uh, making product, you know, circularity, uh, making product that lasts a long time, uh, that's the best product. Uh, when it's in the hand of your customers, you're helping them to uh, repair it, to fix it, for it to last a long time. And then hopefully at the end of it, you can you know, collect it back and you can recycle it or re- re- you know, re- repurpose it. So that's the product. Uh, the environment's about mitigating impacts of business, and that could be carbon um, mapping, offsetting. We know a lot of our materials are quite uh, carbon intensive, so how do you go you know, fixing that? And people is really about inspiring our communities to, you know, to drive change and uh, become activists and you kind of use the platform to, of the brand to, to, to help that bring, to, bring that to life. And is there a priority in any of those or is it sort of you try and divide your time equally between all three of them? I guess it probably... Well, no, you can't really have a priority. I mean, there's certain elements of that framework that are more applicable to certain areas of business. So C7 is all about people and activism and inspiring change, but it's got the same, you know, the same, it's, it's, it's a tool that we can use to achieve the same result. You know, product is, you know, that's a better, better quality product made in a better way that's going to last longer. That's, that's also going to have positive results. They're all moving towards a positive impact business in different different ways. So, yeah, that, you know, they, there's certain times that some are more prevalent, more visible than others, and they, 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 they all sort of jostle around, really. I mean, it is very impressive. I mean, a couple of examples that I've seen where you're actually, there's quite a few businesses now that are trying to shoehorn themselves or brands shoehorn themselves into this environmental perspective from their product. But, you know, you're, you're actually doing it, repair, return at the end of the life. You work with um, reskin, reskinned on that. And even the, you know, the raw products and the, the story around Ulex and wetsuits is, is super interesting. If you can share that with us. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, wetsuits, you know, as, as a brand that is rooted around getting the sea and cold water surf, you know, the irony is one of the, one of the most beautiful things you can, have, you can do, in my opinion, is to get in the sea. But on this, in this climate and many others, um, you have to wear a wetsuit to get in the water uh, if you want to stay in for any length of time. And wetsuits are actually one of the, you know, the, the worst thing products you can make by a long, long way. It's the, the toxicity around the production, the manufacturer, you know, both in terms of the chemicals used, the way the process, and also there's no end-of-life solution. So, so you know, how do you use the brand like Finisterre to really kind of address that and you know, reconcile that need to go in the sea with a better product. So for over three years now, you've been working with a company called Ulex. That's an amazing, uh, originally a um, medical, a biomedical company, but then they start making wetsuit, wetsuit, wetsuit neoprene, um, or wet, not wetsuit, biorubber, and it's basically is made from a tree rubber. So it's a natural alternative to neoprene, so biorubber, uh, and it uses um, I think it's 10 times less water, 80% less CO2 uh, from, you know, 
sustainably occurring natural sources. And so if you can use that in a product, which we do, all our works in that Ulex, and the performance is better, it's warmer than traditional neoprene, and it doesn't have all the problems associated with that. That's what we do, but you know, it's, 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 it's definitely a trade-off because, you know, we have to commit to margin to do that. It's not, it's not kind of a straight line decision, but we believe that it's the right thing to do, and that's what we're doing. And presumably there's more and more new products with a lower carbon footprint coming to the market all the time. But I imagine as a small business, it's quite challenging working out what's actually good for the environment, what's what's real, and whether you can, in fact, integrate it into the supply chains. It's obviously a massive industry with very long supply chains. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you, know, you know, and if you think about the sort of decisions we've made and the 20 years have been around as you know thing you know facts change all the time especially you know especially the last four or five years you know the kind of the amount of recycle this synthetic that bio that so you know the compliance and the kind of interrogation of the those claims uh, is something we're working really hard to kind of get making sure they are really credible and can be validated from a business and environmental point of view. First Mile is the UK's leading waste management service. We help over 30,000 businesses reduce their carbon impact with our award-winning range of recycling solutions. Go to our website, which is thefirstmile.co.uk to get started today. If you're enjoying this episode, don't forget to subscribe. We have brand new episodes every Wednesday. How on earth do you scale a sustainable brand? And, and probably a lot of our listeners are in the same place where they've got a good eye, you know, a good business and they've built a sustainable brand. But then when you start to scale it, what's the hardest part of keeping control of the supply chain, and particularly in fashion where you can have long and international supply chains? Yeah, sustainable is an interesting word that's you know been around for a while and it's kind of probably in my opinion getting overused now, you know, so that you could argue there's no such thing as a sustainable business because you know it's you're causing damage. We were saying that we we have an, we have an effect on the planet. It's about how can we mitigate that? You know, how can we be a positive impact business? You know that's kind of the kind of the the main the kind of I suppose the holy grail which we could you know, move towards. How can you exist and have a positive impact on the planet? Use waste, use fabrics, blah, 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 recycle, repurpose, and so that's kind of, I suppose that that that's the first thing to say and. Supply chains are complex. You're totally right. They really are complicated, and you know uh, we are a global brand that has a global supply chain with you know factories all around the world. And we you know, but we know and have good long-standing relationships with the factories. And yeah, you know, I think the sort of the the sort of the way I look at supply chain is that every sort of every point on it, there's a value add. Every point, uh, there should be a fair, you know compensation uh, for that value add and then you get to the price which is hopefully um, you know and when then we get that price and we're trying to make sure it's a fair price to the customer but that's the price it is and you know that's going to be say 90 quid for a bit of knitwear uh, which we feel is a really fair price for everything that's gone into that very complicated long supply chain if you and it's not it's not for me to judge how people spend their money as a, as a founder as a brand but if you have a been knitwear that costs 12 quid ask yourself the same question and 
you know, do you feel that price a fair reflection of a very complicated supply chain? So again, it's up to customers to, with obviously within their means, um, think about these kind of questions. And do you think customers are becoming more educated around this, or is it sort of um, still a small percentage who are buying products for life that can be repaired? I mean, interesting. I was in a a jean shop in uh, Soho last week, uh, Nudie Jeans, and they actually have someone sitting in the shop repairing jeans and you can get your jeans repaired for life. Have we seen more of that? Yeah, we are. We, we've had repairs here for 15 years um, in Will Kissy and Snagness. We've got a repair store. We've got you know, probably a third of the shop across the road is for repairs now. There's a, a constant you know, wear of jackets being fixed. And so we've had that kind of, that sort of way of working with our customers and designing for a while. We have one in, a store in Bristol as well. And so, yeah, it's definitely people are understanding. I think that they need, you know, people need to um, repair repair products, extend their life. Uh, don't need to always buy new as well. We're seeing that with, uh, you know, with the um, resale platforms and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I suppose to answer your question, there is a, in my opinion, a you know, a bit of a growing, rising tideline on the sort of type of consumption that we should be moving towards as as customers and basically consuming less are you looking at new models like renting clothing for life rather than actually selling maybe clothing? yeah yeah maybe i can't say too much now but um we've got a few exciting ideas coming yeah perfect and with repair what are the main barriers there is it a cultural issue of sort of getting people to understand that they can repair things is it designing garments that can be repaired i mean you've heard these stories of it's impossible to replace a zip because it's sort of fitted from the inside out um you know what are the main barriers to sort of getting more more repair out there i guess it might be a convenience thing you know i've got a jacket and it's i've got to send it back and send it in and, and i've got to wait three weeks for it to come back and you know there's there's that sort of mentality so do you know what i'll just buy another one you know so uh, there is a bit of that i, I i'm just to go into it intuitively sort of suggesting that so that's possibly um one could be one barrier i mean our stuff is all sort of you know our wetsuits were specifically built in a way that you could repair them very easily so they're built really really well and built to last which they do but if after two or three seasons you need it fixed the, we built it so that the the, the, the tapes could be taken off and new tape put on, that sort of thing. So there are examples in the range where I'm really thinking about how you can you know, incorporate the repairability of the product into, into its initial design. From your sort of learnings of doing Finish Day over 20 years, do you think we can fix the fashion sector? You know, it's got this very linear process and responsible for a huge chunk of climate emissions. I mean, I don't know. You know, it's you know, we're just we're just doing what we're doing. Have done twenty years. We believe in we believe in the power of change and the power of you know committed people and brands to drive change. That's always what has made these changes. So, so we and that kind of gets out of bed in the morning, and that has done for twenty years and will do for the next twenty years or however long you know whatever. You know that that belief that we can do that. You know, you have that, but also you have the knowledge that you know. There are some huge, huge businesses and operations in the fashion sector that you know we're not going to be able to nudge along. But then again, like we did a collaboration, we did a collaboration with Vans Footwear a few years ago, and they brought their you know expertise in footwear design. We brought expertise in fabrics and supply chain, that sort of thing, to the table, and we end up making their most you know in quote marks sustainable shoe they've ever made. 
And that's yeah. now part. So the fact is, they're still, you know, you've got to kind of back yourself and believe yourselves that you can do these things. And a huge, huge business like Vans does that. And so there are some examples of bigger brands doing stuff. So it's, it's you know, change is happening, but it's, you know, you have to just keep beating on the door. Yeah. And just keep pushing with the expertise, which sounds yeah, super fascinating. And are your customers who buy stuff are campaigners, but they're also investors in your business? Because I think you, crowdfunded are they are they a, a challenging bunch the customers or are they always super supportive of what you're doing do you have a forum for them we have crowdsourced designer product like our first wetsuits we crowdsourced you know to get very complicated product to make so we wanted their feedback so we had a way to test a program you know seven eight years ago now and um that was really successful getting building product for our community which i really enjoyed doing we constantly get feedback from product which i always love and one of my you know, highlights is always seeing people in our product. And mm-hmm. Originally, it's your mom and your sister or whatever, but then it's your neighbor and suddenly it's people you don't know. And when they've had a good experience with the product, that's amazing. And equally, I'm always interested to hear, you know, how can we get better? And we're lucky that relationship we have with our customers is a, is a really open and transparent and uh, productive one. And, you know, it helps us get better. So I'm really, really appreciative of that and really value it. And then equally, uh, with the crowd raises we ran, they were both times when our community really got behind us um, with their belief, I suppose, in, in what we could go on and will go on to achieve as a brand. So a really great validation for me personally and, 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 and the wider business in, in what we're doing. And are you now getting a lot more? You mentioned you've got 10 stores in the UK. Are they a really key touch point for people to give you feedback in terms of the product and how the Finister brand's going down? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, of course, you know, that people can walk in, they can see the product, touch the product, they can, you know, try on wetsuits, they can, you know, let, let you know, staff know what's going on and they, you know, they're really, you know, they're essential parts of our, our business. Um, there's 10 stores all around the country and yeah, they're always, you know, there was places to bring, bring to life the product. We do a lot of events there as well, so you can go and listen to films or uh, watch films rather, um, listen to talks, talk about products. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of the real kind of the, the, the melting pot, I suppose, of that interaction with the customer. And other customers quite focused on the sort of outside of the garment, the impact of the store, the impact of the e-commerce operation, the impact of the packaging. Is that a concern as well? Are you focusing on that or is, is the tension more on the... On the product, I, mean, I don't. I don't. I don't often get asked <laughs> what's the impact of e-commerce <laughs> for our customers. No, to be fair, but you know the packaging is a great one. You know, with we say we're you know we'll, we send we'll DTC business send a lot of product out mail order. How, you know that's a big impact. How can we reduce that? Mitigate that? So our impact. We work now with it's called Leave No Trace and it's biodegradable in a marine environment. And you can you can put it in boiling water and it sort of dissolves. So it's um, we work with Leave No Trace now for three or four years. So. Yeah, those elements that we, you know, that for what I suppose outside just the product, the impact of the business and how we can, it's, it's everywhere. We're constantly trying to, but you know, we're never, it's, 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 hard, it's hard to do and we're never, you know, we never, you never actually kind of get there. You're always trying to improve and get better and grow and evolve and that sort of thing. And that's very much the mindset in here. There's always something on the list. Yeah, um, <laughs> there's always thing more to do. What's your best-selling item? Is it? Have you had? Something, is it something early days? It's always been the best-selling item, or does it move from year to year? Um, our merino underwear was really it was really popular. You know, people would buy one 
or two pieces, and then we just wear, you know, that replace the whole um, boxer short underwear range with with merino underwear, and that's you know beautifully soft next to skin, lovely product. Our knitwear has always done really well for us. Our jackets and you know wetsuits are also really good. On this show, we're building a hall of fame for climate heroes, and we always ask our wonderful guests to leave something in First Mile's Climate Heroes Hall of Fame. So, what or who would it be? Um, I, I did actually have a person, but I think I probably put a thought in this thing, as that's what the question is. And I think it's, I often sort of reference this in here, it's never underestimate the power of a committed bunch of people to really drive change. Brilliant. I like it. It's going to get nice and busy in our Hall of Fame. And if you could have, I'm hedging my bets on the leadership of the UK here. So if you'd have a one-to-one with Rishi Sunak or Sakir Starmer, what would be the key message you'd land on them? Uh, it'd be, you know, be lead, lead the seas alone. You know, don't don't get any more licenses to offshore drilling. Uh, ban bottom trawling and enforce, you know, MPAs properly. So that because there's areas where you know the sea has been left alone and it, in you know in years in a few years quicker than the land it's the, the ability for it to kind of uh rehabilitate is is phenomenal and then it can really start playing the role uh, that it should do in our lives and can leave the sea leave the seas to bounce back yeah so yeah really really can play an important, you know, important, important part um you know really the seas to be healthy so what's coming what's coming up tom that you're getting most excited about that you can share with us um, I think the things we touched on C seven a bit. That's that's what's very close to my heart because you know it's, it's wider, than, it's bigger than just a business. It really is the, the brand sort of driving change and bringing voice and talking about activism that sort of thing. So that's always really exciting. We have the Finisterre Foundation, which is something again I'm really close to. Um, we set it up uh, about eighteen months ago now, and the idea was that you know as a as a business as individuals. You know, we're very lucky we can get in the sea whenever we can. And that's kind of what we, you know, that, that connection we try to bring to life in the product, in, in, our, in the brand, the product enabler of that connection. But we're also equally aware that that isn't the case for many people. So there's many barriers for people to get into the sea. So we set the foundation up with the explicit aim of um, enabling equal access to the ocean for all. And so that's, that's sort of CIC, it's sort of the charitable part of the business. And um, we funded it from Black, from not, we didn't do Black Friday, which your listeners may, you know, it's this kind of crazy, you know, end of November, like mass consumerist event that goes on around the world. So we haven't done, they didn't do that um, last couple of years. And we, we, but we, instead we donated money for all as we got to the foundation and we used to so what i'm excited about is the way that the business can start to fund the, the foundation and with that money we ran a wetsuit project where one of the biggest barriers of entry to the sea is actually wearing a wetsuit uh, if you've got sensory issues or you know you find it difficult to get a wetsuit um, we had an amazing guy um, who had cerebral palsy and he found it really hard to get into a wetsuit so and that's kind of where it sparked from we adapt the wetsuit for him so the wetsuit project through the foundation, you could apply to have your wetsuits adapted. We've got these letters in people um, whose children before get into wetsuits and so you could put a zip in a different place or whatever. So it's kind of really powerful stuff. And um, I suppose, you know, I've, I've always got people to see my personally and now we do that for business. So the ability of then using the business to do that to people whose that amazing thing isn't 
accessible to them for whatever reason. There's a barrier to that. Using the foundation to break down that barrier is something that, you know, I, I love that. Really excited about that. Yeah, no, that does sound that does sound incredible of getting more people in the sea. And you seem to wear many different hats. You're clearly very busy with a huge amount going on. What does success look like for you? Do you define success? How does it how does it look for you? Yeah, I forget asked that question and it's um yeah, it's been twenty years, so you know, listen, there's been a lot of tough times in that in that period. Like, you know, when you had to really dig in, had to have real resilience. Uh, both as myself and, and our wider teams. And, um, you know, nearly hasn't happened many times, to be fair. But along that journey, there's really amazing high points that you have. And they're not like, you can't pin, pin the back and say, oh, that's one, that was us at Tefl time. They're, they're little wins. They could be every day or every quarter, whatever it is. So you have the little little things that prove you're going in the right direction. It's the B core, it's foundation, it's C7. It's, so, you know, Ulex, it's a better product, it's an amazing customer review. As I said earlier, I always love seeing our product out and about and talking to customers and, you know, finding out. How, and, you know, that, that for me, I suppose, is a, is a really, yeah, that, that for me is, is, is sort of success and seeing that more and more is, is something that always excites me. Brilliant. I love it. It's sort of the, continu- the, the continuum. This might be related to the sea, but it might be uh, sort of looking inland as well. Are there other climate initiatives that you're getting excited about in the future or, or may even be getting involved in? Yeah, we touched on one earlier, you know, which is probably around offshore drilling and bottom trawling. I can't say too much about that now because it's still sort of just, just finalising it all. But it's, you know, you know, really in our backyard around this, around our coastline over here. Know, draw attention to things that we think um, shouldn't be happening if the sea is needs to recover and, and heal. Because I think Dogger Bank has been turned into a no fish zone. I don't know whether that's happened or not to protect it because the problem with yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's actually quite a lot of marine protected areas around the country, but they're the kind of policing of them, I suppose, is that you know you can set one up, but then actually if 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 it's you know, not policed or enforced, it's, it's not much point in having it. Tom, great. How do our listeners find out about Finister or C7? Finister.com is a website. Uh, Instagram is um, at Finister. That's F-I-N-I-S-T-E-R-R-E. Um, or drop it to any one of our 10 stores around the country and speak to people. And, um, you know, we're, we're pretty, we're, there's loads of digital stuff going on uh, with content, stories, a broadcast which goes out every weekend and there's you know got amazing sort of um stories that kind of many things to discuss um yeah brilliant tom it's been amazing having you on this episode of first miles climate heroes thanks so much for joining us and coming along no worries thanks bruce i'm bruce brightly and you've been listening to first miles climate heroes where we meet incredible people making an impact to tackle climate change. If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and subscribe to the show. We have brand new episodes every Wednesday.